Hi guys, welcome to the SOS show. I'm Suchita, I'm a filmmaker and I deeply believe in the mental health cause. It's something that is close to my heart, something that I often see in my environment. I'm committed to the cause of mental health and I have made a lot of short documentaries with people suffering and transforming themselves uh, with various mental health issues. Uh, we are committed to creating an awakening and a transformation in mental health space. On the SOS show we are going to have some real stories, some eclectic conversations and some definite transformations as we move forward together. We are going to break all the taboos around mental health, every single topic that has been swept under the carpet from mild to severe form of mental health will be discussed and dissected in the show. Today we have with us the most amazing Reshma Waliyappan, a dear friend. I got in touch with Reshma almost 8 years back when I was uh, trying to find out uh, more about schizophrenia and I was sort of directed towards her. Reshma lives in Pune and she is an artist. Uh, in fact, her website uh, says she's a multidisciplinary artist and she's an educator. She's also the founder director of the Red Door uh, that has been using creativity to redefine mental ill health and and other disorders. In fact, she is also an author of a memoir Fallen Standing, My Life as a Schizophrenist, Walls Artwork Globally. She's also an Ashoka and Ink fellow and she works closely with community schools to empower boys and girls through sex gender education to enable them in channelizing their regression through the creative process there is much more about rage that you can find out on her website uh, wallrage.com she's also the protagonist of a series of mental health films that we are making under project joy so do check that out as well uh, let's go and chat with reshma and delve deeper into the intricacies of schizophrenia Hi Rish, it is so lovely to have you on our SOS show. You are like on our the first episode here, and um, I just want to quickly brief about uh, where me and Reshma go back to. It's almost like eight years back when I connected with her, wanting to know more about schizophrenia, and everybody sort of directed me towards Reshma. I just want to quickly start with you know very simplistic definition of what is schizophrenia. Well, in terms of for the layman, schizophrenia is called the father of all. Um, mental disorders or mental illness. Um, it basically comprises of um, hallucinations. There are five different types of hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Most most of the individuals who are diagnosed with schizophrenia um, would have what is known as hearing voices. That kind of became the predominant hallucination that was reported. Visual hallucinations, olfactory and uh, tactile were rare amongst uh, these narratives. The second other uh, major symptom was delusions. These delusions comprised of delusions of grandiosity, that is to believe your, you know, uh, Jesus Christ or your, or your God, and you've been sent uh, with a purpose, you know, that you got to mm-hmm. do. Then mm-hmm. you also have delusions of persecution. You feel that people are coming to get you. You feel... You know, the cops are going to come and arrest you or the FBI is after you or the aliens are going to kidnap you or that you were kidnapped by the aliens. So they can really range. Right. It's individual. Mm-hmm. Um, then the third other um, the third other criteria is um, cognitive uh, um, cognitive disorders. This could mean. Um, disorganized speech or disorganized behavior and disorganized expressions or thinking. Mm-hmm. So All these right. were the criteria one would fall under. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the diagnosis of schizophrenia doesn't happen overnight. It takes at least about six months for the individual to actually fall under all these different hallmarks before, you know, one or two or even three psychiatrists conclude that, yes, this can be called schizophrenia form. And mm-hmm. from there on, it starts. When was the first time you discovered that you had schizophrenia? Well, the first time I consciously heard voices and actually responded to them, it was in 1995 mm-hmm. when I was um, just before my 15th birthday and I ran away from home by listening to what the voices told me to do. Mm-hmm. You can say that's probably the first time I consciously acted upon the voices, but um Later on, it just kind of became a full-blown breakdown in um, before my 22nd birthday when I was in India. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I started showing what is called all of these different hallmarks of schizophrenia, including high levels of aggression in my case um, mm-hmm. and anger. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were these voices telling you when you heard them for the first time? Do you remember anything? Does it have a gender? Well, um, there wasn't a gender to the voices mm-hmm. at that point. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think I can give it a gender. Maybe because I myself was going through puberty. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. maybe my voice were as complicated mm-hmm. going through puberty themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Mm, sure. Yeah. So, um, but... Uh, I think at that point when I actually reacted to them, it was just one voice telling me, run away, run away, run away. Mm. You know, you just got to get yourself out of here. You got to run away. That's it. That's all the voice said. And I couldn't pay attention to anything else that the voice can um, consist of since I've had like, I mean, for, for a whole year during that, just before I ran away from home, things were anyway pretty... Um, crazy at home for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, puberty wasn't easy, of course. Yes. And uh, then there were issues with my parents that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I can't really, I really can't have, I, I don't have much memory of what those voices sounded like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if from me looking back into the experience through my writing and other work and other interviews, people have actually triggered a lot of other stuff in my head, including uh, when my father wanted to figure out if I just had it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when he and my psychiatrist uh, looked into the whole you know, history of me and the kind of stuff I did or responded to, they uh, sort actually concluded that I probably had it since I was a kid. I, and, and just that I didn't know it and nobody really knew it because kids... As a kid, you get away with doing a lot of things that are crazy. You can be inappropriate as a kid, right? Yes. So it doesn't come across as being something strange. Mm -hmm. So tell me, like 18 Um, years down the line, are the voices still there? Very much. And are there the same voices telling you the same things or different voices? Uh, No, some are are different and uh, some are same. Mm-hmm. The ones that I have uh, realized are the same tend to be just a part of me. Mm-hmm. 
Like your so, own, like an um, alter ego. Well, yeah. I mean, like, you know, the part of me that has split into a false self, like what R.D. Lang would talk about mm-hmm. when he himself did studies of schizophrenic patients. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when, you know, the part of you cannot really accept um, that um, society can be a certain way or people around you can treat you a certain way. So you create a false sense of self. And when the false sense of self tends to keep um, existing more than your real self, that's when you have a clash inside of you and you can't figure out who the hell are you really at the end of the day. Both of these different selves start having their own voice, right? Um, The best I would describe it is, the best analogy I can give is most often people also kind of give the example of the good angel on your right shoulder and the bad angel on your left shoulder and they're both really you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it's a constant fight between these two selves. Mm-hmm. One is telling you to stand up for yourself and beat the crap out of the other person who has hurt you. Mm-hmm. But the other realizes that you live in a society that doesn't allow you to just, you know, simply beat the crap out of somebody else. Mm-hmm. And this constant struggle in trying to protect yourself does mm-hmm. uh, force the voices to come out i mean it's actually been happening to me in the last three days you know Mm. and these personal internal voices that are my own voices Mm. either from my own mind which has got a direct relationship to me as a person or other parts of me Mm -hmm. that relate to my loved ones Mm -hmm. so these are the voices that do surface you know Mm -hmm. um in a way, um, I've always looked at them positively because they realize that I'm getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, what happens when you get a diagnosis of schizophrenia and, you know, when, I mean, the whole world starts looking at you and everything that you do and everything that you experience as part of a symptom that you have, you know. Mm. So race got angry. Oh, it must be the voices in the head. You know, rage got angry. It must be the voices in her head. Rage mm-hmm. got angry. Mm-hmm. It must be the voices in her head, mm-hmm. right? But nobody mm-hmm. stops to stops to see that the other person actually said something that really pissed me off, mm-hmm. or they did do something to piss me off. And there's so much of passive aggression in the world, including mm-hmm. in your own family members, your own relationships with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. that it makes it very difficult for me or mm-hmm. anyone actually to even realize that something you said indirectly or sarcastically or whatever mm-hmm. actually did hurt me. Mm-hmm. I mean, we always say so. it's easy for people to be direct, right? If you're direct and straightforward and you say like, you know, Rish, you're a stupid bitch, I hate you. Mm-hmm. I can deal with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure, it's You know, you're being honest. It's very easy for my mind to comprehend what you mean, what you say, and that you really mean what you say. Sure, sure. And that's how I look at these particular voices of mine. Sure. The other voices um, have changed over a period of time, yeah. Um, Some of these voices, uh, when I worked with my therapist, we realized they were voices of my perpetrators. Um, Perpetrators can range from, you know, kids in school who bullied me, Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, teachers who said stuff to me, or it could be, you know, high-end trauma and individuals who did assault me. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and these were the voices of them. But mm-hmm. they, I mean, I guess the word here is when I started working on my trauma or my healing process, you know, these voices eventually left. Mm-hmm. They did not have the reason to exist uh, mm-hmm. because I could perhaps let go of the trauma. It's not like the story doesn't exist. I've just detached. I was able to detach myself from the pain of what happened to me. So the voices themselves sort of just evaporated. So do you think that these voices were actually a manifestation of your trauma? Yes. Many of the voices that were there were part of my trauma. And once I, you know, figured that out, they sort of left. And the ones that keep coming is different because, you know, every every day in life we are traumatized by something. Yes. Right. Uh, what yes. is the trauma for you? It's not the same trauma for me. Yes. So, but, 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 but do you think that also depends on a lot of other things? One being the sensitivity quotient that the person has towards people and towards life, because we all are different sensitively, you know, in terms of how we perceive life and people. So do you think people who are more sensitive are more, uh, you know, you know, they are more, uh, they can be more vulnerable. Yep. I agree. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's the words, the words are many of, um, us. When I'm saying mm-hmm. us, I'm talking about other individuals who have also um, had lived experiences of schizophrenia and over 15 years, of course, not mm-hmm. just one or a few years. Yes. And when we shared our you know, details of our life, we realized that we're just bloody too sensitive. Yes. Yes. Uh, and we some, some of us even refer to it as being hypersensitive. Yes. Um, um, other individuals, or when I say other normal people, so yes. there, there definitely is a difference between normal and not being normal. Yes. At one point, um, I struggled in trying to make both of these equal, and I realized actually we're not. We're never going to be equal because normal per- people don't perceive and experience the world the same way as I do. Uh, mm-hmm. When I had to make those comparisons, I realized that it was very easy for them to not have stuff affect them. Whereas for me, it actually stays in my head. It could be something really small and insignificant according to norm, to a normal person, but it would stay in my system for a really long time. And when I say it stays in my system, I'm not just talking in terms of the voice. It's also in terms of the visual, uh, which then contributes to my visual hallucination. It also stays in my system in terms of the olfactory and tactile. So mm-hmm. I would have an experience that's almost like what you see in the movie. I would I would feel the person, I would be able to smell them and that would that would of course make me feel paranoid because the person and that particular experience probably happened, you know, sometime back. And yeah. my mind has not left those senses away and have not been able to move out because it's completely sensitive. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not going to say whether it's the brain that is sensitive mm-hmm. or it is just our emotional quotient that's extremely, you know, yes. high. Yes. Um, I rather, I, I rather believe in the latter um, because that's another word that you call for being completely empathetic to one another. Yes. So yes. 
I often find myself being very empathetic to other people only to realize they're unable to um, reciprocate the same thing. And that puts me into a lot more pain than them. It's almost like they're just emotionally numb, numb to what they just did and said. So tell me, Reshma, you're so aware about your own self. It's very rare that somebody, uh, because I have met people suffering from schizophrenia, they are not aware uh, that they have schizophrenia in the first place. How are you so aware about your own self? I guess because, um, what do you say? I've been aware about my own self ever since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something you look into psychology. And, you know, when people talk, when Freud or any of these guys spoke about how a child's psychology develops, it's often the environment, um, the genetic might play, but the environment also forces the kid into growing up a certain way. And in my family, uh, me and my older siblings, we've always had to work on um, being aware and taking care of our own emotional and mental health states. Um, because uh, let's just say my parents sort of fall under a lot of other parents who are also pretty dysfunctional in their parenting skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, we grew up trying to parent our parents <laughs> at very young ages. So, okay. I mean, we were made to sit with adults. You know, there were instances where, I mean, my, my, my dad and his family loved to they loved to socialize and have drinks and have booze. And as a kid, I mean, my older sister was 16. My brother was 14 and, you know, I was 10. You are you are put into that environment that makes you observe, right? Mm-hmm. And when you spend a lot of your childhood observing other adults and trying to figure out why they behave in such messed up manners, mm-hmm. you you just tend to develop this part of you that ends up becoming very aware. Mm. You just know at a very young age, what's the difference between an adult and a child. Um, but yet you don't get to live your childhood mm-hmm. because you're made to feel like an adult since you need to understand why the adult said the stuff that they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I looked into uh, my childhood with my therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, my therapist herself tried to figure out where did this awareness come from. And I guess uh, when I did reconnect with my older siblings, we realized we were doing it ever since we were a kid. It had nothing to do with me going bonkers in my head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we constantly had to um, go into our rooms and stick in our own silence and figure out, hey, why did dad behave the way he did? Or um, why did he react the way he did? And this was just internal conversations in our minds, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not, it's, it's, it's very, it's a very different childhood than other kids. Mm-hmm. Whereas yes. other kids had to just figure out as to, hey, why did my friend say this to me? Or why did my friend, you know, pull that little uh, stroke of jealousy? Or why did my friend not call me for a birthday party? Which for me and my older siblings were, were, were really small issues mm-hmm. because our minds were, were already having to deal with, you know, the kind of um, adult behavior we saw around us. Mm-hmm. And we grew up thinking that was actually normal, that the way my parents behaved was normal until we, you know, there were one or two instances where my aunt actually intervened and had to tell my dad that, you know, they're kids, 
Mm. It's not their job to understand your needs. It needs mm. to be the opposite. Mm. Um, it was until one adult said that in front of us, you know, we didn't even know we were actually doing it. So we mm. were aware about other stuff, but we were not aware about, you know, what was then normal. We just mm. concluded this was what is normal for every other child. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think that's where the awareness came from. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, just taking care of yourself as uh, as a child, where you see your friends running home and talking about you know childhood problems to their parents. And but when you go back home, you really need to listen to your parents' problems. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, Rish, what do you think is the basis of schizophrenia after being so aware about so many things around you and about your own self, your own life? I'm sure you've analyzed and understood that what could possibly be the base of schizophrenia since some 24 million people suffer from it the world over. Quite honestly, nobody's going to like what I have to say would be the basis for schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. But it is actually based on a theory that existed before conventional psychiatry did. Hmm. It did had to come. It it did come from the way you were treated as a kid. It had got to do with how parenting was, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, there were controversial psychiatrists who also said the same thing. R. D. Lang himself, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but because the chemical imbalance theory proved to be a better escape, mm-hmm. that kind of worked. Um, now. Apart from my story, I have five other people with schizophrenia. And mm-hmm. just that, you know, on a on maybe a monthly basis that, you know, we sort of interact. And when I look at all of our stories, just the five, I mean, there are 40 other people, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, it really boils down to um, how we don't actually have a good relationship with our parents. Mm-hmm. And it's a constant hard work for us to just get them to understand what is happening to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is it is it is it is it that specifically with your parents, or is it with generally with the world around? I know it's specifically to individuals diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is some sort of a lack of parenting, um, and not just lack of parenting. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of a dysfunctional parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, lack of parenting is different. Mm-hmm. Lack of parenting is when you have maybe a pa- you have parents, but they're probably divorced and they're having their own shit, and you got to deal with it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's parent is screwed up because your parents don't come with a manual. Sure. But when we are saying a dysfunctional parenting, it's almost where the child loses out on his or her own childhood to mm-hmm. meet adult needs of their parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, one other person I know who is actually a boy, mm-hmm. um, he connected with me on this and asked me cause he didn't know anybody else who would listen to what he would say. And he said, you know, I'm undergoing an emotional surrogacy. Mm-hmm. And if only oh people knew what that mean. And yes. I said, I know exactly what wow. you mean. Wow. Yeah. So as kids, we end up becoming emotional surrogates for our parents. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's where it is. And mm-hmm. That's perhaps why it makes us yes. so bloody sensitive as adults, right? Sure. Where we, sure. we don't know what our child needs were. Sure. So when you now look at people with schizophrenia who are diagnosed, mm-hmm. many of us come across as kids. 
Yes. Because uh, now that we are adults in our physical form also, mm. we can protect the child inside of us that is constantly saying, hey, like, I want to experience the world and now it's my turn. Yes. Because I didn't get the opportunity to experience that. So I'm going to talk shit and you're going to and you're going to protect me from it. Yes. That's but, where mm. it comes from. And the general theory of schizophrenia also happens that it's, you know, it's in your DNA or it's hereditary or, you know, it can perhaps happen to anybody, you know, uh, uh, before they turn 30. Uh, what do you think about these theories? There's always a theory for everything. Yes. And I think it's. To some extent, um, I always take theories with a pinch of salt because they can be right and they can be wrong. Sure. Um, so when you're saying that um, there, are, there is a certain group of individuals who are vulnerable to this um, disorder, I would say, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. We are a vulnerable group of individuals. You are saying it's one in every hundred. Yes, mm -hmm. I would agree. That's one in every hundred of us that are vulnerable because... If I just have to make a comparison between my own family, I have three other siblings. We share the same genetic code. We have yes. the same parents. Yes. We've had the same upbringing, yes. right? Yes. Why did I get schizophrenia? Yes. Now that's, that's for me is a question. Yes. Everything, everything has been the same for us. Yes. But there was one of us that was vulnerable and like how I am that one in four in my family who's vulnerable to this. Mm-hmm. Likewise, there's by, somebody by, else. By, by, by being vulnerable, you mean sensitive? Yes. Okay. So when you say that I was the most vulnerable out of the four, do you mean you were the most sensitive out of the four? Yes. Okay. I meant that I was the most sensitive. And um, if you're talking about, yes, when we are talking about the genetic code, Yes. And when we are talking about how is that then translated into my schizophrenia experience, the yes. best example I can give you is, um, according to everybody else who knows my family, they consider me um, one of the only child amongst my other th three siblings mm -hmm. to best resemble both of my parents. Mm -hmm. They have said that I have my dad's brains and I have my mom's look and I resemble them the most compared to my other three siblings. Mm -hmm. And you have, you have such a child in all families, right? Mm -hmm. And one fine day when my dad is watching television and he drinks two glasses of whiskey and it goes to his head and he gets completely paranoid and angry at why war is going on and how people are doing this. And then he just kind of, you know, it's, he's a man, so he can, he can say stuff like that. Right. So he says that, you know what, one day I'm just going to like, you know, make this um, weapon and I'm going to go and shoot all these people because they are destroying the earth and they're destroying all these people and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Now, a man can do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. A man can say that. So let's put patriarchy there on the list also. Mm -hmm. Sure. Right. Also, sure. because he comes back home, he's bloody tired, so he requires his drink, and mm -hmm. it's okay for him to talk this way. He's really stressed. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. we get it. Mm -hmm. So I look at him and I say, Dad, you need two whiskeys. <laughs> and for the world to acknowledge you're a man to say that, and yes. uh, you just go to sleep, and nobody's going to say that, that you're talking mad. But I don't need those two whiskeys. 
Mm-hmm. I will not even tell you that I've done something like that. I will just go and do it and I'll come back home. I'll have a smile on my face. And maybe down the line, you might hear it from somebody else and they're going to say, she's crazy. Sure. That's that's the only difference. Sure. And then his eyes opened up and I said that if you're talking, the reason why I brought this example is because my dad's a scientist himself. So when yes. he looked at my schizophrenia, he looked at it from a scientific perspective so I gave him back his scientific perspective and I said that just multiply your gene to a thousand times, you get me. <laughs> so your gene expresses itself in front of the TV with the whiskey. Your gene needs the whiskey to wake up and tell you you're affected by the shit in the world. Mm-hmm. Now you multiply your gene to 10 times because I'm the you know next generation, of course, or you multiply to a thousand times and you mm-hmm. get your daughter who's schizophrenic. And that same gene does not need the whiskey to be expressed. <laughs> right? That's the only sure, difference. Sure, sure, But Rish, you're such an achiever, you know, man. You've written books and you're a TEDx speaker. You're an artist. You're a Ashoka fellow. I mean, people who are categorized as normal don't even reach the tip of it, you know. I mean, how do you do that? I mean, how are you so fiercely independent with such sharp intellect? And how do you manage to do this? How do you, how do you define madness versus mental illness, you know? Well, some of us uh, know we are mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've always been mad ever since we were kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friends have always said, but Rish, you know, you've always been crazy anyway. <laughs> you would anyway engage in high risk behavior because you because that's you. Mm-hmm. So when schizophrenia came in, it just opened up another door. You know? <laughs> and my yeah. psychiatrist um, said it's also got to do with a my personality. Yes. Right? So right. You, I don't necessarily like um, agreeing with these personality classes, but yes, they also have a certain um, value to them. So when my psychiatrist says, I'm a schizophrenic who has a personality type A, which is very different than a schizophrenic with a personality type B. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, mm. And that made complete sense because mm. it basically meant I I do get bored if my stimulation dies off. Mm-hmm. You know, I recently went for a trek and after walking 3,000 stairs, I'm like, God, I need to amuse myself. <laughs> so I pull out a bag. And they're like, can you hurry up? The snow's going to come. I said, yay, finally. (laughs) So at that point when normal people are delusional because of altitude and lack of oxygen, Hmm. I mean, I'm like, I'm already delusional. What do I have to lose? (laughs) Right? I mean, I'm anyway pulling up bamboos. In fact, I am walking all of that path without the fear of anything. Yes. Because my mind's already lost it. But the difference is now that I know I've lost it according to social norms, Mm -hmm. I mean, I accept it. I completely accept that, yeah, I can be delusional because people don't understand that. Mm. But my delusionals also come from a space where quantum physicists don't call it a delusional. They just call it another dimension of existing, another dimension of where the mind can exist and perceive matter and also experience it. And therefore, we are in a constant, um, we are in a constant shuffle. We are in a constant... Um, clash between these realities, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking at shamans, you're looking. If you look into tantrics, you look into voodoo priests. Now, whether you call them superstitious or not, they've existed before science has. Hmm. Something has allowed the human mind to exist and hmm. to constantly evolve, whether hmm. we like or we believe in the theories, or whether or not 
there have been many of these different stories and quantum physicists and science are still trying to explain what these mind over matter concepts are. Mm-hmm. For me, um, um, schizophrenia was, I think, not the first disorder of the brain I have had. Mm-hmm. I think what made me realize that is um, we, the, the same sense like everybody else on this planet, all of mm-hmm. us want to be special and unique. Yes. It's a dying need. It's a recognition. It's an acknowledgement that we need to accept. All of us want to be recognized. All of us want to be acknowledged. We all want to be special. We all want to be unique. Mm. And we are constantly on that struggle, even in your normal rat race. We, we, we do things that try to get us there. And eventually when um, schizophrenia struck me and it became a stigma for everybody else, I realized it was it was my uniqueness. Because before schizophrenia, I was um, I was also a child survivor of Ray syndrome, mm-hmm. uh, which was um, which even many doctors don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh, I'm even that unique now. <laughs> so <laughs> even in a class of other people with schizophrenia, I realized mm-hmm. that okay, shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're only talking about schizophrenia. I need to go back now to something else that happened to me as a kid. Mm. And I was not supposed to be alive according to medical science. Mm. And they don't know how I was one of the survivors who still lived and continued. So I kept doing my own research and I realized that's where it comes from. I mean, but to make it short and concise and only to schizophrenia, mm-hmm. our delusions keep us alive. Mm-hmm. Wow. We all have a firm belief. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Persig, the author of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, in his yes. argument of science, uh, science against religion says that when I have an imaginary friend, you call it a delusion. When society has an imaginary friend, it's called a religion. <laughs> How do you know Lord Ganesh exists? You don't know Lord Ganesh exists, but all of you come into Pune and Maharashtra during Ganpandi festival, get sloshed, even if, you know, intoxicants are not allowed. And you have a ball of your time celebrating this elephant god in <laughs> in, 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 in a body of a man. Now, True. that is crazy because once upon a time, um, you know, when, when internet just came into India, um, if you remember, Americans would actually say that you Indians are mad. <laughs> yes. Right? They would ask you, yes. say, hey, you've got, an yes. in- you've got internet? Yeah. I mean, really, are you from India? And the next question is, so do you ride elephants to school? Yeah, <laughs> we ride elephants to school. We have internet and we ride elephants to school, of course. So it's very situational. And when you look at somebody with schizophrenia and the delusions we have, my delusion was I'm a vampire. And our delusions have a story to tell. It's a story that never ends. So despite what seems to be Rish being a functioning high spectrum disorder person who (laughs) can rationalize. If you ask me, my bottom line is I'm a vampire and I'm also from a different planet. And that's a firm belief I have that you cannot ever take away from me. What are the biggest challenges of living with schizophrenia? To see that it exists. 
Well, uh, where I'm coming from is I've been into not just mental health advocacy. I've been into disability advocacy. Um, so it's opened up my eyes from that perspective of what is visible and what is invisible disabilities. And when you, I mean, when I walk into a room and I have um, friends who are blind, I have friends who are on wheelchairs, you know, mm-hmm. and when I see how they have to demand for their needs, Otherwise, they will not show up at a conference, right? They would just simply say, I'm sorry, um, I can't come here, I can't see, I don't have my support person to help me. I can't come to your conference because you don't have a ramp. I simply cannot live in that hotel room because I cannot go into the bathroom, I can't access it. And it's very easy for normal people to see that. It's very easy for normal people to see that person cannot access the space. It is a choice. Um, that they don't have, so to say. So they constantly, um, it's it's become very easy for other people to see that and to keep that in mind that, oh, you know what, if I'm calling this person, I better keep these things available. There has to be a support person, there has to be maybe Braille, there has to be all of this different accessibility that needs to be taken care of before I call this person. But <laughs> when it comes to someone who's, I mean, not just with schizophrenia, but we are called, you know, there's a term called high functioning people or um, it's a, it's now a term they also use on um, children with autism. They're called high functioning um, autistic yes, savants yes. or geniuses. Yes, yes. Right? Um, yes, yes. High function. Yes, yes. Um, they fail to realize and to see that you also have issues of accessibility, right? Because mm-hmm. you're... Um, your disabling um, need cannot be seen. And the only way you can make it visible is through words. And these words, they need to be comprehensible to the other person. Yes, yes. Right? Yes, yes. yes. A schizophrenic word salad symptom, which which nobody will understand because then they will say, oh, which is having a symptom symptom again. So basically for me to even communicate my... Need requires me to be at a certain level to form a full English, you know, a full sentence that the other person can understand. And for me to even say that I need space at the back of the room in case I get restless so that I can run out and get some fresh air. Now, for somebody with schizophrenia to even say means they should have reached an ability to even communicate it to their loved ones that yes, I need something yes. and that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. On a regular basis, how many of us can communicate I need something for us to even recognize? When I go out, I can also tell you what I need. Then yes, it yes. comes to you also being a woman. That's why yes, I said yes. there is a gender difference. It is very different for a woman to be able to communicate her needs unlike if a guy would have to communicate his needs. Whether he's schizophrenic or not, he can just go out there and he can demand it. Hey, chai lekar ao, yaar. Yes. What do you think about the medications on schizophrenia? To rule out uh, my take on it is, mm-hmm. I never really liked medications because they numbed me big time. Mm-hmm. Um, from... From having the ability to solve crossword puzzles, read two books while I'm solving the crossword puzzle and maintain a conversation. One day I wake up and I stare at the same sentence for half an hour. 
it made me feel really stupid right so, so, i mean so, so, mm, no so are we saying that even after 1000 years 5000 years there has been no medication for schizophrenia get 5000 years just let's go back to 200 years of psychiatry psychiatry was not psychiatry as we know was not started in india it was started in a foreign country land Mm-hmm. that decided that these are the medications that will work so let's bring it down to 50 years mm-hmm. in the last 50 years there have been many generation type of drugs when you're talking mm-hmm. about antipsychotics which are the ones that are given to people with schizophrenia you have first generation antipsychotic drugs which means they were the first ones that were made and given their benefits might be one but the disadvantages would be 1 is to 10 so you would have 10 disadvantages or 10 side effects to deal with and so on and so forth you had second generation third generation and fourth generation fourth generation antipsychotics are said to have uh, very very um uh, little side effects but they actually cannot be given by themselves you still need to uh, mix your your cocktail meds up it it's a cocktail that you're and actually ended up taking and my question has always been the same that in 50 years if people have been giving these medications and you still do not have a good amount of people with schizophrenia who are functioning yes then it is questionable absolutely absolutely right absolutely and you know the experience came even before what people or how cancer has bombarded the entire universe with yes yes but yet you've not been able to create functioning schizophrenics yes yes and even if you have it's maybe one or two in the world that are taking medications so it's a question people need to start thinking about in fact now just yes day before yesterday there was a tweet sent by um somebody else was also on antipsychotic medications and in the mental health world there are two different advocacy groups there are those that are saying do not slam medications because some of us need it yes yes and what many yes yes if you need it fair enough we are not telling you not to get out of it but do not promote the fact that everybody needs it because a lot of us with schizophrenia who have actually found our way back have found a way to live without medications i'm not the only person many of us are speaking the same language and many of us are saying how the medications have actually affected us in fact it numbs your sense of personhood that you don't know anymore which one is you which one is your true self man okay okay you actually lose awareness yes yes any insight to have patient yes. is making you lose awareness then mm-hmm. how will you find that awareness um for me i guess um i mean i see i did take the medications um also on, because are you on meds now 2008 um and i was how are you tackling it me going off medications started when the same voices told me to paint um i was seeing a um, couple of different psychiatrists before i found the one that worked for me but even then um the fact that my personality is your type a personality who um likes to take over the universe <laughs> <laughs> so we can't such a personality is a personality that finds it very difficult to depend on anybody else sure right 
we are highly individualistic and independent that way, which is perhaps contributed to me having to stop my medications very often. You know, I would feel that it's okay, it's working. I better stop it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to depend on them. And when I stop it, I go into relapse. That's how, how it is. You go into a relapse and I realized, thank God I actually went into a relapse. It made me more aware about what was happening to me. Um, and when my doctor eventually realized that, you know what, I, I don't want these medications. And now, thankfully, I had an ethical psychiatrist. When I told him I don't want my medications, he didn't find a way to force it down my throat. He didn't find a way to lock me up inside the, you know, asylum. He found a way to keep asking me why and is there something we can work out? And I finally probably hit the nail on the bud when I told him because it feels like your mind is getting raped and all you can do is sit and watch. And that's even worse than being raped itself. I mean, and um, statement from a place of no experience. I know what both feels like. And I said, you know what? If something was happening to me physically, I could still fight. I can still push I can still scream, still fight for some. But when you have these medication to you and, you know, I, I still heard the voices and I still store stuff and I'm just sitting there like a vegetable. I am, I've put on 30 kgs extra. I'm drooling with saliva. I can't find my words. I feel so bloody stupid. I'm lactating and I'm not even pregnant. <laughs> and your, and your feet look like elephant and the only thing that amuses you is like you know poking your feet and trying to see oh look that's called water retention I didn't know that it's also difficult to walk because your body is stiff and at the same time you you you're seeing the stuff that you're seeing and you're having thoughts of people trying to persecute you and you're still feeling stuck you know you're like shit I can't even run away from this I can't even punch anything I, I can't even I can't even yell that's really what they made me feel. Like I can't even yell at what I saw. And that's what they are supposed to do. Then no, thank you. I don't want them. When you're hurt and when you're suffering, the first thing you do is yell. Yes. 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 So you can't. Yes. Schizophrenia to not yell. Yes. 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 What are the alternate ways to live with schizophrenia when you're not taking medications? that it was painting first to start with, I use a range of creative creativity. So to answer your first question on how yes, do I yes. do many things that I do? Yes. Um, like I said, there are many different ways to live life. Schizophrenia is just one way. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. There's many different types of way to exist. Schizophrenia is one of them. Lovely. Now, yes, if there is one person, lovely, a full-time artist, and all this person does is paint, it does not necessarily mean I need to be only limited to painting because anybody in the creative world will tell you that if one creative door opens, another will also open. It is the law of creativity. You will never find a writer who probably does not sketch. You will not find an actor who probably does not paint. It's coming from the same place. And if these are just normal people who are um, engaging and existing in maybe two or three ways of expressing themselves and I being not normal then I have just found five or six ways of engaging and expressing myself. 
Lovely, lovely, yes. That's, that's the only difference. Yes. I'm trying to tell people I'm also an alien. So I come with all these talents and skills. But in order to survive and speak human language, they have to call me schizophrenic. And that the only way I can express myself is because of schizophrenia. Uh, a, but How can you make the society more aware about schizophrenia, bipolar, and, you know, make it um, a little bit easier for everyone? Blind to the person that you meet every day, right? Because we we've been overtaken by also gadgets, but even before gadgets, people were still blind to one another, including their own family members. And uh, then we look for spiritual meaning once we have white hair. And <laughs> the, spiritual, the spiritual world tells you, you know, go back, make your peace. How can we accept people who are different? By just accepting them. There is no how to accepting it. In fact, children accept you when you're different. Adults don't. But adults have also now polluted the minds of kids by teaching them how to judge. Kids themselves look at you differently. I mean, I find myself being accepted by kids so easily because they come from a place of non-judgmental attitudes. It's when you give them something to judge, they start looking at you differently. Mm-hmm. And we live in a planet of seven odd billion people with different skin color, hair color. I mean, you have politicians who do the craziest of things and we yet accept that sort of madness. Yeah. I mean, so we are accepting people who are different. We are also putting them on pedestals and turning them into gods. So That's why can't you accept somebody who's what you're calling to be mad? Because we we don't really do any damage to society. Yes. Not the ones who are damaging society. We are yes, yes. lost in our own world. Yes, we are yes. too busy being mad that we don't actually don't have time for you. Yes. And yes. so people have people find it difficult to accept that that you know what she doesn't have time. I said, yeah, I'm too busy being mad. Isn't that a good thing? <laughs> I have no time. I have no time to think about how I want to kill the other person or you know cheat on you or you know I actually don't have time for that. You know my yes, mind yes. does it for me. And I, I guess more than anything else, it's also just recognizing that um, this might sound boastful, but I think I can be correct. Mm-hmm. We schizophrenic at it. We've existed before agriculture. We've existed for so long that documentary filmmakers, poets, you know, the greatest of thinkers, the greatest of artists, the greatest of writers, the greatest of movie makers, they're all talking about us. I mean, you have gurus and mystics who also compare themselves to us. I said, well, no wonder I'm delusional because you people have been talking about us all the time. We've existed before you guys. Why can't you just accept it? And it's not, we're not gone cases. We've actually found a way to live in the world. Um, because if you look at it, people with high spectrum disorders, we are still alive. We're not dead. We might feel suicidal, but the fact that we haven't reached a point of actually being dead is basically us constantly in a battle, us constantly fighting because we want to live. There is a need to live. There is a need to also be with other people Uh but people don't understand what space is. They don't understand what time is. So they don't know how to exist in it yet in a different way. Sure, I guess sure. they should be a bit more logical and rational. Mm-hmm. I find normal human being to be more irrational than I am because they take their minds for granted, you know, because they've not lost it. So they take it for granted. They don't know how to 
they don't know what the struggle is when you're constantly trying to fight between the rational and the irrational parts. And so if the world was a bit more rational in understanding what insecurity is, because everybody has insecurities, you would make it very easy for people like me to also exist. Schizophrenia or anything else in life comes from us being just insecure beings, insecure human beings. And in order to secure ourselves every single day, it is a human need to feel secured. It's not something, it's not an alien concept. You are always looking to feel security. So if somebody can give you that sense of, I accept your mind for all the madness that it comes, I automatically start feeling secure. So then I will share my shit with you. People are share their thoughts. And that's a question. Can I share one of my most um, horrendous thoughts of maybe I want to eat a human being up? Will that be accepted? Or will I be called a cannibal? A cannibal? Uh, will it be something that people will romanticize about? And every single human does that. So maybe the mad people are in a better place because we're being authentic to what we're really feeling and we don't really have a choice. So it's, it's to accept that and to accept that we speak a different language and English is not that language. English is a form of communication. But if you were to speak my language, you would get it. And perhaps the expectation I have is for a very long time, schizophrenics are told to exist in the normal world. My question is, how about you try and exist in a schizophrenic world? And if you can't do it, then you cannot have the same expectations from us. Because when somebody gets diagnosed with cancer, I find people very empathetic to them. You know, they say that, hey, you know what? Maybe it's time for you to change your lifestyle, find a different, you know, work, be a little bit, you know, not so stressed out. You know, cancer has changed your life. It basically means you need to choose different things. Yes. But when somebody gets affected by schizophrenia, the first questions people ask is, oh, when can my child go back to being the way they were? And I'm like, that's, that's, that's you and me. We are growing every single day. Why would why would you want me to go back to what I was 10 years back? Life is about moving forward. And pretty much like cancer, if somebody were to tell someone with schizophrenia, hey, you know what? This has happened for a reason. And maybe it's because you don't need to be the way you were anymore. You can choose life differently because of what you have. That's a gift. But we don't look at it as a gift. We had some great takeaways from this podcast. One being defining the voices. How does the voice sound? Because it's something that a human mind cannot comprehend as as long as you are not into that situation uh, of what a schizophrenist goes through. Medications of schizophrenia, in fact, uh, even after so many years, there has not been anything concrete to stabilize the mind of uh, somebody who is suffering from schizophrenia. And why is that? You know, also, do we need a special courses on parenting for every new parent who, you know, uh, brings a child in the world? Is a dysfunctional parenting uh, irresponsible for something as grave as schizophrenia? Building a community to tackle uh, any issues and challenges that a person with mental illness faces and much more. This podcast is a joint effort of Epilogue Media and Metaphysical Lab. So do connect to us on our social media handle, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, you can also DM us at EP Log Media. You can write to us at bourgeois 
at the rate eplog.media. You can connect to me on my Twitter handle, Metaphysical Lab, and my LinkedIn. I look forward to connecting with you guys at a deeper level. Stay tuned.